listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Indeed, welcome to the show. This is the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist. With over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars, this is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we respond to listener-submitted emails. I will read the questions and Eric will try to answer them. And we're fresh back from a, uh, a Dwight Yoakam concert. It was rad. Wasn't that great? It was so cool. I'm a big fan. I've I, I've always been a big fan. And to finally see him, it would have been cool to see him in like 1990. Right. Well, for me. Yeah, not I for, wouldn't have been born yet. Not for you. Uh, but, uh, well, you were born in, well, we don't want to say when you were born. Goodness. I was born in 1990. Anyway, w- so we got seats about halfway back. And they weren't terrible seats, but they they were pretty far. Our friends managed last minute to get front row center seats. Front row. Like, like right in front of Dwight. Ten feet from Dwight Yoakam. Yeah. And they traded with us for half the show. So ha- for half the show, we had re- really good seats. Basically, just Dwight was just staring at us, playing It was so cool. Us. He was singing Bakersfield, making I—I I mean, we made Streets eye contact for ten Bakersfield. for ten seconds. He was singing it, and I about died. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Anyhow, that's not what this podcast is about. We're just excited about it. <laughs> We're just excited about it. Uh, lately, I've been working on a lot of custom guitars. I think I have twelve guitars on order. Whoa! Uh, yeah, I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about disabling the uh, special order function from my website. I'm so far behind. I, yeah. I don't know what to do, actually. I had to do that a, a few weeks ago, and I kind of wish that I had just given everybody longer wait times, because I've turned down a lot of work the past few weeks. Yeah, that's really not a good thing. Yeah. Huh? I'll just keep it going. Uh, but if you're considering ordering a custom guitar from me, give me a shout first, and let's let's talk. Anyhow, here's a follow-up from the last episode. Someone was very nice and reached out to me and shared with me how the rosewood veneer fingerboards are made. Okay, cool. Yeah, because we didn't So know. Early, early Fender, they were slab board, meaning the, uh, the line between the maple and the rosewood is flat. Okay. And then they went later to a veneer board, meaning... The line between the maple and the rosewood is curved. So an astute listener sent me this. This is from uh, this is from Richard R. Smith's book, Fender, The Sound Heard Round the World. 
The curved board was introduced in mid-62. It was not heat-bent or veneered. The curved board was milled on its underside to match the radius of the maple. George Fullerton described this in more than one interview. The reason for the curved board was to eliminate issues with slab boards creating a twist in the maple rosewood assembly due to the rosewood having a controlling effect. This issue was compounded by the use of curved bottom fret slots, hence reducing the curving effect that fret slots have. Despite that, the curved board continued with the constant depth curved bottom fret slot, probably due to the use of the swing arm fret slotting gang saws. Is this complicated enough for you? Can you tell me... Fret slots still... Hold on. Fret (laughs) slots still... I only have one more sentence. Fret slots still followed the radius of the board and were therefore of constant depth. Go ahead. Curfing. What does it mean by curfing effect? Notched. So like a perforated Uh, effect? Well, okay. Have you ever looked inside a guitar and there's edging around the corners? Well, yeah. I know what curfing is, but... When it comes to a fingerboard, how can you apply the word curfing effect? What does that mean? Because when you cut fret slots in Mm -hmm. a neck, Mm -hmm. um, it has a curfing effect because... So it wants to curl? You're you're cutting a relief in there. Okay. Yeah. And so um, uh, it it weakens it, but then... And and unlike curfing, they're at different intervals. Mm -hmm. So as you get up farther on the neck, the frets are closer together. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, so the slots are cut, but then you go and hammer in frets, right. and it actually expands the board a little bit. Hmm. Except in the case of early Fender, they were installed from the side. They weren't hammered in. Anyhow, that's not what this is about. The point is, now we know how the these were made. Cool. It was, um, it was not a veneer that was bent. It was milled on the other underside. I'm and surprised. I am too. I, I guess I'm not. I didn't know which. I, I honestly didn't know how it was made. So, um, but that seems like a very reliable resource. Cool. This also from Fender, the Golden Age by Kelly Foster and Kelly. The year 1962 saw changes to the rosewood fingerboards on Jazzmasters and all other guitars in the Fender range. The thick slab rosewood boards that were flat on the bottom surface, where they were fixed to the maple necks, were replaced with a thinner, curved board during the summer of 62. This saved money by using less rosewood. But Leo also believed this construction method would counteract differences in expansion and contraction that occurred between the two woods on slab board necks. Hmm. So there you go. It was money saving and supposedly some kind of a. I don't think that they were having issues with twisted necks yeah. because I've worked on plenty of vintage fenders and I I don't think that that was a problem they were having. Maybe it was. I don't know. But um, according to these resources, one of the reasons they did it was because of uh, warping. But um, it was probably more due to the the cost saving. So I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. But that's how they were made. There's a follow-up. Cool. Love that. Hey, uh, what's on your bench? Did you already say that? Uh, mostly custom guitars. I've been doing a lot of random repairs, too. I'm, I'm working on a beautiful little old Martin ukulele. Oh, cool. Re- almost a 100-year-old uke. It's really cool. I thought that you didn't work on ukes. I don't. 
don't send me your youth. <laughs> it's a guy I've known for 30 years, and I can't say no to him. Oh, okay. It's just fixing a crack. It's not, oh, it's, not a big yeah, deal. Yeah, okay, I see. Cool. Not a big deal. Yeah, we have a few calls. Sure. Should we do those? Yeah, let's do it. We're not going to do any news. I'm all newsed out. Hey, what happened to my calls? I had them dialed up. They're gone. Oh, dear. Oh, give me a minute. It'll just take me a second here. Well, while I'm, while I'm doing this, what's on your bench? Uh, Well, I got, I've got three just real simple straps to ship out tomorrow. And um, mm-hmm. I'm working on a strap for a local guy. He's a fiddle play, player. He's a, well, he's a fiddle repairman. He's yeah. kind of your analog, but for fiddles here in mm-hmm. town. Um, and it's a Western style strap, which I don't normally do, but that's, I mean, that's what everybody does when they tool leather. So I'm right. hoping that I don't screw it up too bad. Uh, he and his wife are like fiddle champions. Yeah, they're amazing. They're, they're like winning national. National fiddling champions. Yeah. They're really cool. Uh, their, their names are Joe and Jackie Seitz. If you look them up on YouTube, they are fabulous players. Yep, they sure are. But I'm making a guitar strap for Joe, not a not a fiddle strap, because there's no th- such thing. Well, yeah, normally, so they they play these um, competitions, and they play, you know, around, and usually he's playing guitar, and she plays fiddle. She's, right, yeah. She's the smoking fiddle player. She's burning those things up. She's cool, man. I know. She's really cool. They're both really cool. All right, let's take a call, shall we? Yep. Hey, Eric and Melissa, it's Brandon calling from the cornfields of Indiana. I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, I wanted to say two kind of congratulatory comments. And the first is uh, that I loved the pictures of the strap that Melissa did for the guy from the Brothers Osborne. Very well done. Beautiful. Thank you. And also to you, Eric, uh, I have already ordered my schematic T-shirt for the Truth About Vintage Amps podcast that I hear you designed. So bravo on that little Fender schematic t-shirt design thanks i i'm gonna pause your your voicemail i did design that i don't uh expect anything out of it and i didn't uh really and there was no big you know thing made about it but yes that's my design i'm not it's like bragging about it because all i did was take the fender champ schematic and change the words so it said the truth about vintage amps with Skip Simmons and Jason Verlindi. So it's not like I designed it. I just changed the words well, using the same font. That's what, like, it was cool. the modern artists sampling music from days of old, that's well, what they I just, do. I just thought it was a, it just was an idea I had, and I spent 10 minutes throwing it together and sent it to Jason, and they decided to use it for a shirt. Well, so that's cool. Well, I thought it was cool. I, I, I ordered one myself. Nice. There you go. Look forward to getting my shirt. Me too. Uh, for a question that I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about, um, I recently put a set of these new Fender Yosemite Strat pickups in my old 80s Japanese Strat. I really like them. And one of the things that Fender seems to be hyping about these new pickups is that they're uh, shellacked. They're potted with shellac rather than wax. I think you've kind of mentioned that in passing at some point, maybe on a previous episode. But I uh, would just be interested in your mm-hmm. thoughts, whether that's something you've experimented with. Um, I've done pretty minimal wax potting on a set of P90s that are in my Epiphone Casino and uh, had good results from that. Uh, but just curious what you have to say about shellacking pickups as a potting method 
your experience and opinions, et cetera. All right. Thanks, guys. You're awesome. Appreciate the podcast. See ya. Thanks, Brandon. I love shellac, and I've used shellac uh, on, if, you know, a number of processes, but I've never used shellac to wax pot pick or to pot pickups in. Um, I use shellac as a sealer and as a as a first as like a wash coat on guitar bodies. I used to that some of my earliest guitars were painted entirely in shellac. I didn't wow. I didn't use lacquer. I just used shellac. Because I just liked the way it, feel, it felt. It when you if you paint a neck with shellac, it just has a really nice smooth feel that it doesn't get sticky like lacquer sometimes does. Hmm. At least in my experience, uh, I've never dipped pickups in it. I don't know why. I don't know why that would be something that they're touting as like a sonic improvement over wax. I don't. I don't know. I guess I'll have to read about why they're uh, why they're hyping that that aspect of it. But yeah, shellac is cool. I just don't know anything about dipping pickups in it. Honestly, never done it. Never tried it. So I couldn't tell you. There you go. Thanks for the call, Brandon. Hello, Eric and Melissa. This is Drew from Wisconsin. Uh, I just have a problem here that I'm wondering if you've experienced before. So I have this little. Gibson LGO acoustic. I believe it's a 62 from what I found on the internet because it has a plastic bridge. And I did some craft repair on this guitar and strung it up and sent it home to the customer. And she brought it back and said the G string had, had snapped. And I looked at it and I thought, okay, maybe it was just a bad string. It, it had broken at the loop where the ball end is inserted into the little loop there. The loop had snapped. So I thought, oh, okay, maybe bad string. Put a new one on. And it snapped in the same exact spot again. So, and this, this Gibson has a spruce bridge plate, which seems very stupid. And it is, it is chewed to crap. So I don't know if, if that, it doesn't seem like that should be snapping the string though. I mean, spruce is soft, but is that something you've ever experienced? I'm wondering if you've ever experienced this bridge too, this plastic bridge. So, so far, all I've done is I well, inspected everything I could, trying to get my eyes in there, and I used my rat tail file and tried to smooth everything up in the plastic bridge. The plastic bridge is a little chewed up, too. Um, is this something where you, I need to replace the whole bridge because, and, and bridge plate, put in a, a maple one, maybe? Um, or have you ever experienced this with uh, a string that keeps breaking in the same little spot uh, at the ball in there? Any help would be appreciated. Thank you. Bye. That's really weird, man. Yeah, that's really weird. I I am wondering if you got a few consecutive defective strings. Um, it couldn't happen a third and fourth time. That I bet if it does, then there's something. Something in there is is breaking the string. You know, oftentimes when a string breaks, um the first thing I suspect is the nut. Even if it's not breaking at the nut, it's breaking down at the bridge, uh, I suspect the nut because what happens is the string gets caught up in the nut slot mm-hmm. and so it won't, it, it's not able to move through the nut. It needs to be able to glide through that slot freely. Mm-hmm. If it's stuck there and it won't and you go to bend a string, 
You're just going to snap it. It's just going to snap. Yeah. And it usually snaps where the, the, the sharpest bend is, which is down at the bridge. Mm-hmm. So even though it's breaking at the bridge, the problem might be the nut. Now, that's just kind of some general advice. I don't know if that's what's going on with your guitar, but that's kind of some general advice. Those plastic bridges were a cost-saving measure that Gibson uh, did for a short period of time in the 60s. They're garbage. Um, yes, it's original to the guitar. It's a little bit of a catch-22 to replace those. You are changing a vintage instrument and that is a bit of a no-no but in the case of those i've replaced plenty of those because i think they're garbage and i think gibson never should have used those it's a plastic bridge that you know remotely resembles wood but it's plastic hollow inside it has screws holding it on from the underside it's a piece of crap and they stopped using it because they realized it was a piece of crap Mm. they warp they don't sound good They don't look good. There's nothing good about them. So um, I would replace that bridge if it were me. Wow. I have no problem doing that. And if the bridge plate is really damaged, then yeah, it needs a new bridge plate too. Uh, You can, there's, there's ways you can repair those or if you need to replace it, you can do that. Um, a quick and inexpensive and, uh, Acceptable fix is to put a strip of brass over that really? bridge plate. Yeah, Stuart McDonald sells a little bridge plate brass, very thin brass plate that you just adhere to the bridge plate. And it keeps the string from pulling too far up. And it kind of just, it lets you, it's like a patch on a tire. It lets you limp along with that bridge plate until you want to get it fixed. Or if it's... You know, if it's for a customer who doesn't want to spend the money to replace the bridge plate, or if it's a guitar that doesn't warrant the work, or if you don't want to do the work, you know, wow. that's something you can do. That's a, that's something to consider. You might try one of those brass strips. And it's kind of handy. Stuart McDonald sells pre-made, you know, with holes drilled in them, mm-hmm. ready, ready to go. Those, by the way, those are handy if you have an acoustic guitar with a pickup that needs to be grounded. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. You can ground it to that strip, and then the strings contact the strip, and then when you touch the strings, it's grounded. Wow. Isn't that nice? That's fascinating. So there's a little extra tip for you. Just a little something extra. (laughs) How do you like that? Anyway, good luck with that LGO. Uh, Shall we take a break? Where are we here? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Okay. Liz here from Emerald City Guitars, located in the heart of historic Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle, Washington. We are one of the world's premier vintage guitar shops, going strong for over 22 years. Specializing in the most rare, the funkiest, and most collectible vintage and pre-owned electric guitars, acoustic guitars, amplifiers, and more. We cater to anyone and everyone, from the guy next door to collectors and famous rock stars. Not only do we pay top dollar for used gear, we also offer trade-ins and consignment. We also have in-house repair and offer free appraisals. We have a variety of social media accounts that we post our goods daily. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at EC Guitars. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and see our daily episodes of the featured Guitar Pick of the Day and Reality of Emerald City Guitars shows. 
Give us a call to chat in person at 206-382-0231 and visit our online store at www.emeraldcityguitars.com. Eric and Mel, great podcast. Thanks for sharing your expertise with the rest of us. It's greatly appreciated. I continue to place square to place square pesos in an oversized mason jar buried in the backyard with the hope of one day turning them into a pinup custom guitar complete with a Melco strap. Nice. In the meantime, and until then, can you explain the difference and give us your quick take on flat sawn versus quarter sawn necks? I'm currently under the impression that a one-piece quarter sawn maple neck is probably a standard right over the middle of the plate option for a parts caster project. Would you agree? Thanks again for all you do. That's from Mark. Thanks, Mark. Uh, the theory goes... Here's, here's the... Here's the logic. Here's the internet logic that you'll read on the forums. Uh, a quarter sawn neck is preferable because the grain goes up and down and it makes the neck stronger and blah, blah, blah. And a flat sawn neck where the, the grain runs across uh, is not as preferable because it's spongier. But whatever, I never, ever look at when I'm trying out a guitar. If I'm trying out a Fender-style guitar, I plug it in and I play it. I don't look at the tip of the headstock and say, well, this one, is the grain orientation on this neck is not preferable <laughs> according to the TDPRI. Um, I'm just not that big of a snob, which you might, which might be a bit of a surprise to you. Being that I, you know, make and repair guitars for a living, you'd think I'd be the ultimate s snob, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, and maybe I am. But this is something that I just don't really think about. If you really, really want a quarter sawn neck, I'll absolutely make one for you. Almost every guitar I make is flat sawn. I use flat sawn neck blanks because... Almost every vintage Fender you see and play is flat sawn. You almost never see a, a quarter. Well, they show up, but wow. typically they're flat sawn. Wow. So is there a difference? Yeah, I suppose. If you really, if you really wanted to get up in your head about it. But I never, here's the deal. I never listen to a record and go, oh, that's, that Strat sounds like it's a flat sawn neck. <laughs> You just plug it into an amp and you play it, right? There's things I care more about, like pickups, hardware, you know, bridges, intonation, frets, Whoa. you know, things like that, fingerboard radius. Uh, I can tell when I pick up a guitar and, and it has a, a pretty flat radius. I don't like that. I like the seven and a quarter inch radius. So... You know, there's a lot of things that I think about and look at when I'm trying out a guitar for the first time, but I, it would be probably months before I even noticed that I had a quarter sawn neck. In fact, I'm thinking about it right now. My number one telly 
mm-hmm. that I've had for 15 years. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's flat or quarter sawn. I don't think I've ever looked. Wow. I'm sure it's flat sawn. Probably. Anyhow, it's just not something I, I care too much about. But if you want flat sawn or if you want quarter sawn, great. Do it. Thanks, Mark. Hey, Eric and Mel, I was wondering if, like current podcast trends, you two would ever add a video to the show. I'm picturing Eric using visual aids to answer all of our dumb questions, possibly some whiteboard diagrams, or maybe some sweet vintage overhead projector presentations. <laughs> Just a thought. That's from Zach in Ohio. Thanks, Zach. Is that a is that a current trend? I didn't even know that. I guess so. I'm not up on current trends. If you can't, if you yeah. if you haven't noticed, right. Here's the problem I have with that, is that when we record the podcast, we're in our pajamas, we're drinking beer, we had a long day. I'm not going to set up a camera and take a video of us. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm with you. We're, there's not going to be any of that anytime soon. The closest thing you're going to get is our Instagram feeds where we occasionally post videos. I still haven't posted like a video tour of my shop, yeah, which I would like do to do. Soon. I'd like to do that, but... um. I, you know, I do occasionally post videos there of me winding a pickup or doing something cool, but yeah. doing a complete video uh, along with the audio uh, on the podcast is not going to happen. It's not a talk show like that. I mean, yeah. I can understand if you're Norm MacDonald and doing a comedy podcast, you know, you're going to do, yeah, if you want to do video with it, great. But yeah. dude, we have no budget. We have no, we have no camera we have no desire to do right. it this is a shoestring operation well and nobody really wants to watch us make hand gestures at each other that's correct while we talk yeah we have secret hand gestures it's usually just me pointing the middle finger at my husband yeah. anyhow thanks so much for the questions and <laughs> we appreciate it I binged your podcast driving out to Maine in a U-Haul. It helps the 45 hours go by. Oh, Man, dear. I hope so, because that sounds painful. Yeah, where did you drive to Maine that took 45 hours? Well, this like is my LA? buddy. This is my buddy, Ted. He moved uh, from, from here. Whoa. Yeah. Well, good for you, Ted. Well, and he's in a U-Haul, which I th- they have like a governor oh, in them and yeah. you, so you like you can't do over 55 or something okay. crazy yeah that makes sense okay uh question i plan to store my guitars in a basement i'm going to get a dehumidifier do you think i'll be okay it is wet similar to seattle but colder in the winter the other option is the attic but that seems too hot and too cold thanks that's from ted yeah um here is what i would recommend get yourself a humidity gauge uh, I think they're, what are they called? It's like a thermopolisometer. It's some weird word that I don't want to say wrong. It's like a humographier or something. <laughs> like a humo- hydro, it's like, it's a hygrometer, a hydrometer, hygrometer. We don't know what it's called. It's a humidity gauge. Yeah. Humidity gauge. I have just an analog one that, you know, I mean, it's, it's by analog. I mean, it's, it's a needle, it's a, dial. a needle and a dial. Um, I have several of those in my shop and I have one in the basement so I can, so I can monitor the humidity. And what you do is monitor it. And if it gets too low, you humidify. And if it gets too high, you dehumidify. Okay. Well, so what's the, what's the price? What's the good range? 45. So between 40 and 50 is good. Okay. It's, it's 
worse to get them too dry. If oh, it, okay. If, if the humidity gets a little high, it's not the end of the world. Uh, but if it gets down in the like thirty and lower, you can your guitars will crack. Your acoustic guitars can crack. And, you know, electric guitars, too. And, and you'll get fret sprout, you know, because the necks shrink, but the frets don't. Mm-hmm. So you'll get sharp frets. Yeah, so about 45 is kind of the, that's your golden ticket right there. That's the the gold the Goldilocks zone. Cool. 45. Just get a, get a, uh, get a, a gauge and monitor it. Um, this, the first year that you live there will be kind of the, uh, the test year. And then, you, yeah. then you'll kind of know what to do. But my guess is... You'll probably never need to humidify, but I don't know. That's why you should get a gauge. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, he he must have a heated basement, but tell me what the, what the ideal temperature range is for guitars. Room temperature. Yeah, so like 70 degrees. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. So if, you're, if your basement's unheated and it's 50 degrees in your basement, it's, it's a problem? It's not really a huge problem. It the humidity is more important. Okay. But humidity is relative to temperature too, so you know, it yeah. kind of becomes a science at that point, but um yeah, you know, you just don't want it you don't want them to be so like you don't want it to be imagine that your guitars are a house guest. You wouldn't want them to be in a freezing cold basement or a super hot attic. I like this idea. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What you what you do is hang them on the wall by the neck. Right. If it's <laughs> just like a house cast. If it's too cold for you, <laughs> it's too cold for them. <laughs> Bring them inside. <laughs> Thanks, um, Ted. Hi, Eric. Your episode last month commented about the poor quality of Klusen tuners. I am using the Schaller, Schaller version and the quality, yeah, Schaller. Schaller, the Schaller version and the quality is tip top. It is made in Germany and affordable. The part number that matches the photo is Schaller ST6B. I am per, go ahead. For those folks at home there, <laughs> you can't see the you picture. Can you see the picture? Don't look at your uh, podcasting device. Yeah. It's just a picture of a Klusen tuner. Uh, I am purchasing them for about $46. Schaller also makes Schaller. Schaller also makes the Schaller F-Series for your builds. I think they are $47. The quality is very good and affordable. Regards, Roger. Thank you so much, Roger. I really appreciate you reaching out and, and sharing that information with me. The problem is, Uh-oh. I mean, we are so close. We are so close. But? But so far away. The shallers that that Roger is referring to are three on a side. Aww. So three by three, that's what he's mm-hmm. buying. And they do it. They look exactly like old Clusens. But they don't make a six in line? They do. Oh, but? Of the 70s style. Oh, mother. So they have the cover and uh, they're not the same. So what I want is the 50s, 60s style. Six on a side. Mm-hmm. Schaller does not make those at this time. That sucks. If they do, I was not able to find them. Somebody call Schaller for us. Well, I, I'm guessing they've heard of those tuners. <laughs> <laughs> they've made a decision for some reason. They're not. They're not making them. 
I don't know why, because they already make the identical tuners, almost identical, that are three on a side. The only difference is that the very edge of the trim, the, the very edge of the uh, base plate is trimmed mm -hmm. so that you can mount them. They, like, share a screw hole. Oh, I see. So you... You couldn't buy those and then trim them? I, I could buy them, but then I would have a bunch of leftover uh, that go on the wrong side of the headstock. Oh, I see. So, yeah, I could buy two sets and make one set of And then four, you'd have for, to make a whole lot of lefties. Yeah, for $92. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it doesn't make sense. So, I don't really know what to do on this. Uh, uh, still, I'm still using Goto's. And they're they're still they're still the best you can get as far as I know. Is it Schaller or sh it's Schaller? Schaller. I why not, why can't I figure that out? Maybe in in Germany, I was going to say Canada. <laughs> Next to you know Canada, they're... there's a country called Germany, <laughs> and I think they might say it Schaller because they're German. Right. Well, that's why I was saying it we Schaller. say Schaller because we're I took practically two Canadians years. Of German in high school, and that says Schaller. What a waste. Have you used it? Not uh, not at all. Why don't they teach useful things in, in high Can, school? I you think, know, no, if they uh, would... It, how about this? Entrepreneurialism. There, there needs to be a class in, that you take in high school. There, there needs to be a class about financial basics. They make you take trigonometry, but... Anyway, you're glaring at me, so why don't you go ahead? Can I can I add something to this yeah. conversation that's actually pertinent? Yeah. Would that be okay with you? Pertinent to what I'm saying or pertinent to what these questions are about? Because <laughs> <laughs> they're two different things. Uh, you should call Schaller. I'm serious about this. You should call Schaller and see either what the reason is or if they'll make them for you. Because if they already have all the equipment to make them, obviously. Maybe they'll make them for you. I don't speak German. You do. However, so you should call them. <laughs> you should call them and say, Guten Tag. Mein Ehren is ein Gitarrenbuilder. <laughs> und he is wanting the tuners. You speak more German than I do. Uh, thanks, Roger. Sorry about my husband. <laughs> yes. Condolences about the host of this podcast. However... <laughs> Moving right along. Hi, Eric. How would you go about grounding a Tele half bridge plate in a Cabronita style? Cabronita style. Very good. Telly. You speak you speak Spanish. Also. I do. I'm so. I, you would not believe the languages. Uh, as you can see, the body has a rear route. For those listening at home, <laughs> there was a picture, but we have not supplied you with it. It's for my eyes only, okay? There is no internal channel to run a wire to the bridge, and the half plate makes it so that the bridge will not be grounded by the base plate of the pickup. And any tips on aligning a new string-through bridge on this style telly? I'll send pics. You're very generous with your advice and time. I greatly appreciate it, and I love the podcast as well. New episodes can't come fast enough. That's from Bill. Thanks, Bill. That's funny, because they come real fast around here. <laughs> <laughs> not that <laughs> not that we don't enjoy them uh how I would go up about grounding a telly half bridge plate in a cabronita style telly is I would get a really super long drill bit 
I have one, actually. I would just reach over to the shelf and grab it. But if you don't have one, you're going to have to run down to the hardware store. They have them at Harbor Freight. They're like, th- I'm talking about like a three foot long. I thought you were going to say 30 feet long. I'm like That'd be, That would also work, <laughs> but you'd, you'd probably need two people. These are about two or three feet long. Okay. Drill bit, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe it's like a eighth of an inch bit or something like that. Okay. Just enough to slip two wires through. Mm-hmm. And the really long drill bit enables you to drill at an extreme angle. Mm-hmm. So you can, um, you can drill, you know, where the bridge goes, maybe mark it off with pencil so that you know you're drilling under the bridge. That way you're not going to have an exposed hole, right? Mm-hmm. This, is, mm-hmm. this is smart. This mm-hmm. is thinking using our brains and then you can drill at an, ex- an extreme angle over to the electronics cavity what's a cabernita style telly what does that mean uh it's a goofball thing that they c- it's kind of it's like a it, it's a little bit like a snake head but um it has a half pit guard oh and it's got a goofball half bridge and then okay. it has like you know, filtertrons or some weird thing in it. I think I've seen that. Some weird, like some weird concept guitar that Fender did. Um, so yeah, you, you use the super long drill bit so that you can drill at an extreme angle and get a channel going from the bridge to the electronics cavity. Cool. Uh, and, oh, I said two wires. You only need one wire. You'll only need one wire because it's a ground wire. Right. It's not both pickup wires. Uh, the other way you can do it is you can drill a hole from the bridge just into the pickup cavity and mm, then mm-hmm. and then run your run your wires to the pickup cavity and then to the electronics cavity cool just depending on how you want to do it there you go uh and he also says any tips on aligning a new string through bridge on this telly so there's no holes guiding him yeah um what you want to do is get your bridge and you'll take a long string put one string on the low e tuner run it down to your bridge run it through the low e run it like under the bridge up through the high e Mm -hmm. hole up to the high e tuner and that will allow you to get it's centered. You'll see where the strings are. You know, if you move it back and forth, so the strings are moving back and forth. You're not right? talking a long guitar string. You just mean a string. string. Just any type of string. String, like which like a you would tie string. up a package. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that's a really long string. Yeah. yeah, not a guitar string. Like a cotton string. Uh the other way to do it is to get your center line marked. If you have a center line going, mm-hmm. then that will tell you which way your your bridge is going to be side to side, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Back to front is going to be uh, dictated by the intonation. Right. And the way to get that measurement is you literally measure it. So whatever scale length you're, you're using... You can measure from the nut to the 12th fret to figure that out. So that will be 
a one half measurement, right? Oh, okay. So from the edge of the, from the leading edge of the nut to the very middle of the metal part of the 12th fret, mm -hmm. that's half of your string scale. So whatever measurement that is, move that over, go from the 12th fret over to your bridge. You want to go to the holes in the bridge? And then, so where the string rests on the saddle. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And typically you want to add like an eighth of an inch or so for, uh, for intonation purposes, right? Wow. And um, that's how you do it. Cool. That's how you do it. Uh, you want to make sure it's centered and you want to make sure it's in the proper place for intonation. And then once you get where that thing needs to go, you can use the um, the uh, string through holes as pilot holes. You put it on your drill press mm -hmm. and you can drill the hole through the body and out the back. You want to put a supporting piece of wood on the back so that it doesn't blow out the wood. Right. Right. But uh, what you can do to make sure that they're, that they're aligned well mm -hmm. is only drill the outer holes. Drill the low E and the high E all the way through. Uh -huh. Then flip over the body. Put the bridge. You can clamp it or something. Put the bridge on the back and then use that as a template to drill the other holes. But not all the way through. Yeah, you could drill them halfway through and then flip it back over and drill them halfway through and hopefully they're lining up there, right? Wow. Um, because if you uh, if you just drill them all from the top, a lot of times you'll end up with kind of misaligned holes. Right. But that bridge is a pre-supplied template. Cool. I mean, use that as your template. Right I hope that helps. These are kind of like homespun ways of doing it, right? If you were making hundreds of these, you'd make a template. Right. Or you'd buy a template. Yeah. Do they sell templates? Well, I'm sure they do. They sell all kinds of templates. I don't know if they sell a template for that, but cool. I'm sure they do. Well, thanks, Bill. Eric and Melissa, I hope life is treating the Daw family well. What is your favorite season in Idaho? All oh, of them. All four of them. Truly. The next question is more of a used electric guitar shopping question than a repair question. Is there a trick of the trade to determine if a neck joint crack is just a finish crack without taking the neck off? And finally, how concerned should we be about a neck joint crack on a bolt-on neck guitar? That's from Bruce in Seattle. Thanks, Bruce. I'm never super concerned about a neck joint crack uh, on a bolt-on guitar. It's usually, it's almost always... Just a finish crack. Sometimes it is through the body. Um, but one good way to tell is uh, just take a close look at it and see, you know, if you push on one side, if there's any movement. And, you know, is there a big edge there? Is there a big lip right. across the crack that's like it's not aligned properly? Right. Um. Is there another way to tell if it's through the wood? Uh, you just have to, you know, not every not every one is going to be the same. You just have you just have to inspect it real closely. The best way is to take the neck off. So I don't know why you wouldn't. I suppose if you're just in a guitar store shopping, it's 
you can't just whip out a screwdriver and do it, but there should be somebody there who, you know, a salesman or a, or a, a tech, and you can say, hey, I'm thinking about buying this, but look at this crack. Let's pop the neck off and look at it. Yeah. And if they can't do that, you probably shouldn't be shopping there anyway. <laughs> right. Well, thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Bruce. Hi, guys. I've been playing my 1941 Martin Double Lot eight, uh, 17. That's the horror story from Down Under. And stand by for a follow-up story to come, including all the gory details. Oh, good. The guitar has no strap button on the heel. Hooray! One of its original features is intact. Nice. <laughs> so I started to look for a leather headstock strap online, as I'd hate to put the poor thing through one more unnecessary operation. And then I thought these might be a great new line for Melissa, as there is plenty of acoustic players and collectors totally against installing strap buttons on their valuable vintage piece. Just a suggestion. Please disregard this message if you are already doing them or if it is a stupid idea. It's not. It's not. I hope this finds you and the kids all well. Kind regards from Andy in Daniloquin, Australia. Thanks, Andy. Uh, yeah. And we have great listeners. Yes, we do. And that's a great idea. And I have been meaning to make them for years and years. In fact, I've made some. Uh, I made some for, my custom, for a custom piece I made seven years ago. But I haven't done any since, so yeah. He sent it's time me a picture of one that looked like it was just a it was just a leather strip. With a button? With it what looked like a western shirt snap. Oh really? I don't think it was, like but it pearl... made me think of that and yeah. I thought, well that that would be cool. That would make it easy. Are there different widths for headstocks on acoustic guitars? Would it could I make a standardized thing? I would think that it would you could pretty easily standardize it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I just need to do it. I just need to do it. I haven't put the time into it. Well, you're busy. I'm busy. That's That does it for this episode. We really appreciate your participation and appreciate you listening. If you want to participate in the show, and you should, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send in your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. The other way is the phone number, 757-774-8482. You can call or text that number. I don't think I've checked the texts for quite some time. There's probably 30. 757-774-8482. Oh, I've checked them. We used some on this show. Oh, this it's, show? Yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah, I checked them. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Good night. Good night.